You may be seated, God, please, as we ask you every week, please prepare us to receive your word, open our minds and our hearts to your truth. God, please pour out your Holy Spirit on us today, this morning. And I'm not asking that your Holy Spirit convicts us this morning in areas of our lives that, that just need to be purified, sanctified uh, by you, God. Mm, God, may your Holy Spirit then give us new life. May your Holy Spirit empower us, give us the power to say no to sin and yes to you in all things. In your mighty name we pray and ask, amen. My friends, we, 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 have, to, we, we have to address a, a problem uh, this morning. And um, the problem that we have, a, have to address is, is, is this, is that too many people, too many people that are out there that are not in here, that we may know, and, and maybe too many people in here uh, this morning are, uh, are following the way of Adam and Eve. Just put it bluntly. That, that is, the, 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 they, we are living a, a self-dependent, self-controlled life, thinking that they, we, not God, knows what's best. And it's killing them and us personally, and relationally, as, we, as, as they, and those that aren't following God yet, as they suffer through various kinds of brokenness and, and, and pain and despair and loneliness and confusion, who am I? And hopelessness. Since the beginning, God never wanted human beings God never wanted God's beautiful creations that God created to live in right relationship with God and with each other. God never wanted human beings to live that way and to experience that. And so when Adam and Eve, when they chose to go their own way thinking they knew what's best, when we chose to go our own way thinking that we know best, God, instead of just letting us die spiritually forever, instead in initiated reconciliation with us, which choice culminated in God sending God's self in the person of Jesus Christ, who showed us how to live a godly life, experienced everything that we've experienced, who, 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 who paid the price for our sin, who actually died on the cross for us and then rose victorious over sin and death so that whoever believes in him, and that just means whoever gives him their complete allegiance, says, here I am, God, I'm all in, will not die spiritually forever, that is, be separated from God forever, that is, live in hell Forever, but instead we'll experience eternal life. It is living right relationship with God and with everyone else forever. That's what we call heaven, and that can begin right here, right now, today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? But God also, and we often we don't think about or maybe meditate on the but also. So today we're going to talk about the but also in great detail. But God also, as part of God's reconciliation plan, wants to covenant with willing human beings. That is, God following human beings to help bring all the other human beings who are not following God yet back into this wonderful love relationship, right relationship with God, so that every human being can experience the blessings of living God's way. And you have to admit that living God's way is the best way. Come on. Living at peace, joy, love, kindness, uh, gentleness, faithfulness, and living that way, is the, it, it's the best way. And so they can experience living 
in the blessings of God's kingdom where everyone looks out for each other. We live for the best interest of each other. No one goes without. We make sure everyone's basic needs are met. Are, are you guys following me? It's the best. That's, that's, God, God wants to covenant with us to do that. So if God wants to covenant with us to restore God's kingdom here on earth and bring other people back into this wonderful right relationship with God, then I think it's important for us to understand what covenant relationship is and how covenant relationship works. And so today I'm, I'm going I'm to do a little bit more teaching and providing you with a little bit more background information so that you can understand this as we continue to work through the Old Testament and so we can tie everything together and see how Jesus Christ fulfills God's covenant on Resurrection Sunday. You guys may call it Easter. I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. So if you come back on Resurrection Sunday, you are going to see how this all, ties, this all ties together. So let's just start this way. Simply put, covenant is this. And this word covenant is used, depending on what translation that you're reading from, over 300 times in the Old Testament. So it is a big deal. So covenant is simply an agreement between two parties with clearly outlined parameters and promises that bind the parties, that bind the parties together. Covenant is a significant term for Christians because covenant is the mechanism that God has chosen to enter into relationship with us. So through covenant, God gives specific parameters that tell us how God, wants to, how God wants us to respond to God and interact with God and how God's going to respond and interact with us, and that outline the promises and blessings that will come if we live God's way, as well as the curses that will come if we don't live God's way. Again, as God attempts to use us to restore God's kingdom here on earth. Now, it's very important for us to understand that God did not create this covenant mechanism. Humans did. God just used this cultural mechanism to, to enter into covenant relationship with human beings because it was a, a mechanism that human beings understood and could relate to during Old Testament times. And so I want to take a few minutes and, and, and explain to you how people entered into covenant relationship with each other in Old Testament times. And, and I think that as you see these, as you see these 10 steps, and I have two, two gentlemen that are going to come and, and, and kind of just show you, they're going to illustrate for you as I walk through uh, this, this covenant-making ceremony, which is a 10-step process. In this covenant-making ceremony, it was done in a public setting, just like this, out in a field, so that people could see it. You have witnesses witnessing the fact that these two gentlemen or these two families or whatever, these two tribes or whatever it may be, are entering into covenant relationship with each other. And the first part, the first part of this, this covenant, the step one part, is the exchange of robes. In the exchange of robes, they each would give each other a robe, which, which represented the exchange of identity. And I want you to start to see how this may parallel to what, and I'll tie this in on Resurrection Sunday, and I want you to see how this may work as we go through different stories in the Old Testament when you see the word covenant and why certain things happen, okay? But the first one is the exchange of robes. It's changing identity. I am you, you are me. We are, we are reflecting each other through this exchange of robes. The second step in this process is the exchange of belts, 
And, and the exchange of belts, yeah, it represents, I'm not even watching what they do. So you, I gave them license to kind of create a visual for you that you will never forget, okay? In this covenant, relate, <laughs> covenant uh, ceremony, okay? So the exchange of belts is really, it symbolizes, it, it represents uh, the exchange of strengths and assets. So whatever Lauren is bringing to this covenant relationship is now John's, and, and whatever John has is now Lauren's, Okay? The third step in this covenant-making process is the exchange of weapons. And this exchange of weapons is very important. It symbolizes the exchange of enemies, okay? So so Lauren's enemies are now John's enemies, and John's enemies are now Lauren's enemies. And And they promise to protect each other from each other's enemies. Are you guys following me here? You'll never forget this image, right? The fourth, the fourth, Step in this covenant-making ceremony is the sacrifice. Man, for a covenant to be real, life, hear me on this, life has to be given and blood has to be shed. And so back in that day, they would take a heifer, they would turn the heifer on its back between them and then someone would take a knife and just cut the belly of the heifer. We gotta use modern things here like a, like a bear. But they would cut the heifer and let the blood just pour out of it right there on the ground. I think you're starting to get what happens, right? And then, step five of this covenant-making ceremony is all about the walk of death. And so what these two individuals would do, what Lauren and John would do, they would stand on each side of this sacrifice and they would literally walk through this mass of blood in a figure eight pattern, symbolizing that they're being united by this blood of the lamb or the heifer or the or the bear. And then step, step six of this covenant-making process was the mark on the body. And what each person would do is they would make a small incision on their wrist, and it would begin to bleed, and then they would clasp hands in such a way that, that those incisions would, would touch each other, and so that, that blood would begin to be commingled, again, signifying their unified relationship with each other. And then there would be the pronouncement of the blessings in, in the promises. This is step seven, where they would stand and they would, and they would announce to each other, this is, this is the blessings of entering into this covenant relationship. If we follow them, this is how we're going to be blessed. If we don't, these are the curses that will happen if we break this covenant relationship. And then they would have someone, or people bring them a, a table, and they would share in this covenant meal. That's step eight. And at the covenant meal... They would begin by feeding each other. This had great significance. And they would say these words when they, when they began to feed each other. As you ingest this, I'm not, I'm not watching, but you'll never forget, right? As you ingest this food, hear me on this, as you ingest this food, you are ingesting me. You are ingesting me into your life. Think communion. You've all been to a wedding before, right? And a wedding is a covenant-making ceremony. And a part of that wedding ceremony typically is the cutting of the cake, right? And where the bride and the groom will, will feed each other the, the cake. That part of the wedding ceremony comes from this covenant-making ceremony. And as a bride and a groom feed each other, they say, hey, as you ingest this cake, you are ingesting me. You are ingesting me into your life. Are you guys following me here? A lot of symbolism going on, a lot of meaning. 
And then step nine was the exchange of names. And so what would happen is, is they would take the last name and, and take it as their middle name. So, so John is now known as John Blanchard Gross. And Lauren is now known as Lauren Gross Blanchard. And then step 10 of this covenant-making ceremony was a very moving and emotional moment where they each would take their eldest son and they would exchange their eldest son. And so John would take Lauren's and Lauren would take John's. And the eldest son would live with that new family until he was raised. And the point being that to make is, is that this covenant is real. We are bound together forever. You guys with me here? Thank you guys for doing that. Now, when two people entered into a covenant relationship with each other, and they would go through this covenant-making ceremony, this covenant would never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever end. This covenant was designed to last until they, they died. Never, ever end. Now, they could break it, but they could never, ever be released from it. If they broke it, they would just suffer the consequences of breaking that covenant relationship. Again, this is the, this is the setting. This is the cultural setting that God enters into and God uses the, to, to, to begin covenant relationship with human beings to restore God's kingdom here on earth. You guys follow me here. And so God begins this process of, of partnering with human beings, of coveting with human beings by approaching a fellow by the name of Abram. And, and, and to see if he wants to covenant with God. And so what we're told here in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we're told this. The Lord said to Abram, and, and the Lord approaches Abram and basically says to Abram, Abram, hey, I want you to leave your land and I want you to come follow me. Just trust that I have your best interest at heart. And this is what the Lord said to Abraham. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. That's the first promise. And I will bless you. That's the second promise. I will make your name great. Third promise. And you will be a blessing. Fourth promise. So God just doesn't bless us to just bless. God blesses us so that we'll be a blessing to other people. Right? And then he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those that curse you. That's the fifth promise. And then all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Again, I'm going to bless you for a reason so that you can bless other people. And then God comes back to Abram a little later in life, like a lot later in life when he's 99 years old, because Abram agreed to follow God and leave his country and begin this God adventure. So picking up in, in, in chapter 17, uh, we're told this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And that's really the requirement that God was asking of, of Abram. Just trust me. Just, just trust me. Trust that I have your best interest at heart. And he, said, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he says this, Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. So some people are like, why this name change? Well, here's what happened. Abram took a part of God's name. In the Hebrew, God's name is Yahweh. So God took the A and the H of Yahweh and inserted it in the middle of Abram's name. And so now he calls Abraham, Abram, Abraham. Are you, are you guys with me here? 
So now it may have more meaning to us once we understand this covenant-making ceremony was, was all about. Verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God also takes Abraham's name. As we see through in many places in, in the Old Testament, God will re- sometimes refer to himself as the God of Abraham. Okay? Part of this covenant-making uh, ceremony, relationship. The whole land, God says in verse 8, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, after you and I will be their God. Now, earlier in chapter 15, uh, God asks Abraham to sacrifice a heifer. So it's the blood covenant. It's the covenant, part of the covenant-making ceremony to, talk, to, to really make this covenant relationship happen. So he does. And, and, and in chapter 15, we also see God say to Abram, look, your descendants are going to leave where you are, and then they're going to go someplace, and they're actually going to become enslaved and oppressed by another nation for 400 years. A little foreshadowing. It, said four, it actually says, for 400 years. We know that that was what happened when they were taken to Egypt, and I'll get to that in a minute, Okay. Continuing in verse 9, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. I was wondering why. Well, again, that's the mark on the body. That's part of the covenant-making ceremony. So, so when you're circum- it's hard to forget your covenant with God when, when you're circumcised, just saying like it reminds you that I've entered into this covenant relationship with, with God. It's the mark on the body. And so he says in verse 11, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So this covenant relationship begins with Abraham and Abraham becomes the father of the Israelite nation, right? Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has two sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons The 11th son is Joseph. Long story short, Joseph eventually becomes the number two person in all of Egypt, uh, right below Pharaoh. Famine strikes the land. So Joseph invites his brothers and his father to come live with him in Egypt, to leave Canaan and come live with him in Egypt. And at the time, there were 70, 70 Israelites. And then they begin to reproduce like rabbits, right? I mean, they just begin to explode. In Egypt, Joseph and his brothers, they die off. New Pharaoh comes in, doesn't remember Joseph, but he sees this this growing number of Israelites. He gets afraid, and so he enslaves them and begins to oppress them, and they experience this uh, oppression for about 400 years, and then they cry out to God, as we talked about last week, and God hears this cry because this is the God who always hears in response to the cry. And God sends a God-made shepherd by the name of Moses who grew up in Egypt, even though he was a Hebrew. God had to spend some time working on him, but he sends him back as a God-made shepherd to lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. And so the Israelites leave Egypt, and on their way to the promised land, they, they, are, they are led to this mountain. We talked about this last week, the mount called Sinai, where God speaks. And it's at Mount Sinai that God continues this covenant relationship, covenant-making relationship with the Israelites, and he tells them a number of things. And one thing, as I talked about last week, and I want to say it again, he gives them their specific role in this covenant 
making relationship, in this covenant relationship that God wants to have with them. And he says it in Exodus chapter 19, beginning of verse 5. He says this, speaking through Moses. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, so there's that word. What's it mean? Well, I'm going to summarize it for you, for the Israelites. It can be summarized this way, as we will see. This is the covenant. I want you, God's telling them, this is what you need to do. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and then teach others to do the same. When you read all these instructions that God gives, that's, in essence, how they can be summarized. Love God, love neighbor, teach others to do the same. So if you, if you do that, God says, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. That's their first specific rule. We talked about that last week. Here they're just showing the world who God is. They're taking on God's name, exchanging robes in essence, reflecting God's image to the world. They're just showing who God is, what God cares about, compassion, justice. Who God cares about, the poor, the, the, the alien, the widow, the oppressed, the exploited, people that other kingdoms don't care about, but God cares about them. So you're to be a kingdom of priests to show the world who this God is. And then you're also to be a holy nation. It is you're to show the world that there's a better way to live than the Egyptian way. The Egyptian way exploited people to get ahead. Now, in God's kingdom, we live for the best interest of each other. We make sure that everyone's needs are met. Are you guys, are you guys following me here? And so after God gives them some of these instructions and tells them what their role is, in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 19, the Israelites respond this way. And a couple times in ex- Exodus, they respond. After they get instruction from God, it's basically, okay, so what are, you, what are you gonna do with that, Israel? And this is, Israelites, and this is what they say. We will do everything the Lord has said. We're all, we're in. But they're not. And as we see over the next couple chapters, they, they break their covenant relationship with God. They actually, they actually, build up a, a golden calf when Moses is away and they think this God has forsaken them and they begin to worship this golden calf. So God wants to annihilate them. Moses intercedes on their behalf. God changes God's mind and instead he, he renews this covenant relationship with the Israelites. And so they begin, they continue on this journey and as we will talk about next week, we're gonna look at a defining moment in the history of, of the Israelites. But next week, they make a crucial mistake. And because of their disobedience, not trusting and following God, they pay a price for that, a 40-year price. And after that 40-year snafu, as the Israelites are about now ready to enter into this promised land that God has promised to them, God, God renews and talks again about these It's these covenant parameters and these blessings and these promises. Because again, God wants to use them to change the world, to restore God's kingdom here on earth. So I want to take a pause there for a second before I get into Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I want to make sure that we understand why. It's like, okay, why does God want to enter into covenant relationship with these people? Well, to, to restore God's kingdom here on earth. But why? Why? Because of what's happening in the world around the Israelites. And it's not good. I mean, these different tribes and nations, man, they're engaging in just horrific things. Various types of sexual perversion. And they're exploiting people. The violence is rampant. They're engaging in witchcraft. They're engaging in human sacrifices. 
When you read the Torah and you, you get into Leviticus, in particular, you see how, 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 how God says, no, 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 no. You, you, can't, you, can't you, can't, you can't become like these people around you. No, you're to show them a different way. And he speaks, he speaks specifically against this one God that these other tribes are worshiping, this God called Moloch. This God of Moloch is what would happen is, is these parents, they would take their sons and daughters and they would sacrifice them to this God. Moloch. This God Moloch is like a modern day look like history books say that like a like a Buddha, kind of having that image with, with hands stretched out like this. And the back of the, when they would make when they make this God, the back would be hollowed out so they could put different things in there and they'd light it on fire so that this 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 God Moloch would get super hot. His hands would get white hot. And then what and then what parents would do is they would take their their firstborn in particular, their son or daughter, and they would just place their son and daughter in the in these fire-hot hands of Moloch and watch their child be burned to death as a sacrifice to this God. In essence, God wants to use the Israelites to get the hell out of earth. I'm not saying that Israelites to leave, right? Because you may have used that term in slang. I'm talking about get the hell out of earth. Get the hell out of every single person who's not following God yet because it's destroying them personally and relationally. So God wants to use them. And so as I thought about this God, Moloch, that these parents would sacrifice to, I began to think about what are some modern-day Molochs that parents are sacrificing their kids to, allowing to transform their kids' minds and hearts. Saying, here you go. What are some of those modern-day Molochs? I can't hear you. Okay. Go ahead, shout, name it. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, video games maybe. I don't know, but it's whatever you just say, go kids, go do, because I don't really want to deal with you. Too much of a problem for me right now. I need a break. And we let these things just own our kids and transform their hearts and mind in an ungodly way. Look, God's very clear on this. God doesn't hold anyone guiltless who gives their son and daughter to a God of Moloch. You guys with me here? God wants to use the Israelites. God wants to use us to get the hell out of earth. So God re-ups this covenant and gets real specific and talk about the blessings if they, if they follow it. As they're about ready to enter into the promised land, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, Moses says this, If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, again, which can be summarized as love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you're loving God, it's really hard to get off the track, God track, right? Like if my desire every day is just to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, like God, you own me, you control me, I'm just all in on you, I love you. I, man, I, everything about today I just want to show is, is in worship to you and, and, and love of you. It's very hard to follow anything else, right? If that's our mindset. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Like, you can say amen. Okay. So it's love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. 
If we're loving our neighbor as ourselves, then what do we do? We don't murder them. And everyone's like, I'm not going to murder. I'm talking with words, too. We don't speak words of death over our neighbor. We, we definitely don't have sex with our neighbor's spouse if we're loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? We're, we're not lying to our neighbor. We're not stealing from our neighbor. We're not coveting what our neighbor has because when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we want God's best for them, right? So that's how we're living. We, we want to be a words of life person and breathing into them. And so then we teach them to do the same. That is love God, love neighbor, teach others to do the same. That's, that's in essence, this is this covenant. This is what God is asking the Israelites to do. Love God, love neighbor, teach others to do the same. So if they do that, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. It is they'll basically live the way God's created them to live, right? We live in a right relationship with our crops, right, and our kids. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and beadboards, breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you'll be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. When the evil one strikes, man, God's going to go to battle for you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. Skipping to verse 9, if, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord, and they will stand in awe of you. They'll be like, whoa, what kind of people are you? Because where I'm living right now, I'm, I, man, someone's trying to stab me in the back. Take this, take that from me. Tell a lie about me so that they can get a job advancement. What, what, you're different. This is when these Israelites are actually being kingdom of priests in a holy nation, showing the world that there's a different way to live than the Egyptian way. There's a better way, God's way, where we live at peace and joy with each other and love with each other, where gentleness, a spirit of gentleness and kindness and, and faithfulness and goodness and self-control reign in this kingdom. Are you guys following me here? And people of the world, people who are living in hell, if they're watching, they will just stand in awe. Like, whoa. Don't you think that, that our nation right now needs us as the body of Christ to just, 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 just see that there's a different way to live, at peace with each other? Are you guys, are you guys with me here? But Moses says in verse 15, this is the curse part of the covenant-making ceremony. But if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey the commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. And then it becomes a laundry list of curses that are basically the opposite of the blessings that God just said. In verse 20, Moses kind of summarizes what will happen if they break the covenant. The Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in everything you do until at last you are completely destroyed from doing evil and abandoning me. Ouch. The curse is basically this. If we abandon God, God will abandon us. In this sense, God will allow us to live with the consequences of our sin choices. God will allow us, and he talks about that in Romans chapter 1, God will allow us to experience hell on earth. Nicht gut. Until hopefully what? 
We cry out because this is a God who always hears and responds to the cry. You guys, are you guys following me here? So Moses ends this covenant speech by saying this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning of verse 19. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. So it's all about, our response is just an act of obedience, right? This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what, what choice did the Israelites make? What choice, what choice would you make? Because God wants to covenant with you too, just like the Israelites, to restore God's kingdom here on earth, to, to bring other people back into this wonderful right relationship with God so that other people can experience the blessings of living God's way and in God's kingdom. So how do we do that? How do we covenant and partner with God? How, how does that happen? Well, by doing the same thing the Israelites did. That's what we're, God's asking us, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and teaching others to do the same. Jesus says that in response to a question by a teacher of the law. What's the greatest commandment? There's all these commands and instructions in in the Old Testament and in the law. What's the greatest one? And I love how Jesus summarizes it. He says this, Mark 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That is, you do that, love God, love neighbor, the rest will take care of itself. Don't make things complicated. Because if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's really hard, again, to love anything else, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing that, it's kind of hard to live in a broken relationship with your neighbor if you're loving them the way that God has loved you, right? So just focus, love God, love neighbor. And then Jesus adds this, In Matthew chapter 28, beginning of verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them. And this is the teaching part. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And what is, in summary, what has Jesus commanded us to do? Love God, love neighbor. So love God, love neighbor, teach others, do the same. Pretty simple. That's how we live out our covenant responsibility. Can you say it with me? Love God. Love neighbor. neighbor. Teach others to do the same. Now go live it. That's in essence what God's saying, right? So what did the Israelites do in response? This is, we're back to Deuteronomy. What did the Israelites do in response to God re-upping this covenant and and, and setting forth these parameters again? What what did the Israelites do in response to God saying, hey, I want to continue living in covenant relationship with you because I want to use you to get the hell out of earth, to get the hell out of people? How do they respond? Well, they embark on a roller coaster ride of living in and out of covenant relationship with God. In and out. Which ultimately ends with them being exiled. Exiled. Because of their persistent, ungodly, and idolatrous behavior in living. When I say exiled, I'm talking about they're in this promised land. And God had some other nation come and actually remove them. They lost their land, their temple was destroyed, and they lost their identity. 
in essence, they experienced what God said would happen if, if they went their own way, if they broke the covenant. God said that this is what would happen in Deuteronomy chapter 28.20. This is what they're experiencing. The Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in everything you do until at last you are completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. Woo! When I sat in this, I got cold chills. So I'm thinking about how does this apply to me? How do I keep from abandoning God, right? How do I keep from being on this roller coaster ride in life? Up and down, up and down. Because I think we all can relate to that, right? Sometimes we're in tune with God, we're following God, and then, and then we're experiencing the curses of not following God, and so we got a relational disaster. Anybody ever been there? Like two people? That's it? Oh, okay, I'm just checking. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Up and down. How do, we, how do we avoid that? Why the roller coaster ride? Well, let me try to answer it to you. Try to answer it for you this way. I assume everybody here has sinned before. Like everybody here has committed sin? Just check in. Okay, good. I mean, like, because if, if we say we haven't, we're liars, right? That's what God says in First John. So we've all committed sin, right? And I'm going to, I think it's safe to assume that most of us that are present here today have confessed our sin at some point in time in our lives. Or maybe some people here that never have, but I'm going to assume that most of us have. We're told this in First John uh, 1, 9, that, that if we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Like righteousness is, is living in conformity to God's will. Unrighteousness is not living in conformity to God's will. So, so he's going to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess our sins, we experience the grace of the forgiveness of sins. And these are the personal sins that we've done, like these intentional acts that we have committed. We've maybe cheated on our spouse, we've lied, we've gossiped, we've, we've stolen something, we've spoken words of death over people, we murdered people with words, whatever it is. It's, 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 it's those acts. And we receive this grace of forgiveness in a sense. It is a free gift to us. We don't have to do anything to earn it. We just have to receive it, confess and receive. Why? Because Jesus Christ has done all the work. Jesus Christ paid the price or atoned for our personal sin on the, cro- on the, on the cross, for, for our sin on the cross, right? By having his blood be shed. And he could do that because he's fully God, fully human. He, we, God needed a perfect sinless sacrifice and that was Jesus Christ. Are you guys following me here? So we confess our sins and we receive the grace of the forgiveness of sins. So why did this, we still have this roller coaster, right? I've been there. Why? Well, because if we want to live in the freedom that God has for us, God wants us to live in freedom. God doesn't want us to do that anymore. God doesn't want us to be that way anymore. Are are you with me here? So God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and yes to God in all things. So what needs to happen is that our original sin needs to be dealt with. Have you ever heard the term original sin? Original sin is that sin that every human being inherits from Adam and Eve because of that faithful choice that they made. What is original sin? Original sin is that that heart bent towards sin. 
sometimes called the sin nature. You may have read about that. You may have heard this time. It's like, it's, like, it's our heart bent. It's, 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 it's what we desire. And, and that needs to be addressed by God. It's, 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 it's basically our go-to is still me, myself, and I. It's maybe you've experienced it this way. Why did I do that again? I'm sorry. Are you guys following me here? Why, why did I? Why did I get on that site again? Why did why why did I why, why why did I do that again? Paul talks about this in Romans seven. He says, "Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do?" Sometimes it feels like we're schizo, right? I don't want to live that way. Do you? Sure, in a minute, I used to bare knuckle it in a place, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. So original sin needs to be dealt with. And the only way that it can be dealt with is if we experience the grace of the purity of hearts. In, 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 in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about these beatitudes, these attitudes that we're supposed to have. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, how does that happen? I mean, I want a pure heart so I can see God, not just in the future, so I can see what God's doing right here, right now, so I can see God, so I can understand what God wants me to do right here and right now. I want that pure heart. Well, how, how does that work? Well, it works by God getting rid of that original sin, our bent towards sin. We experience the grace of purity heart, and so our bent changes from a bent towards sin, a bent towards self, now to a bent of love of God, love of neighbor. That's our heart desire. That's where we're working from. When I first confessed my sins, I will tell you that, man, I still did some things I didn't want to do because I hadn't allowed God to deal with my heart and change it. You guys, follow me here. God talks about this in various ways in his word. The Old Testament, he talks about, in Ezekiel 36, he tells the Israelites, I want, to give, I want to give you a new heart, a new spirit. That heart of stone where you don't love the way I want you to love, I want to give you a heart of flesh. It's not a negative, it's, it's so you feel again, so that you love again. I want to replace it. I want to change your heart bent. So that's what I want God to do. That's experiencing the grace of purity of hearts. My bent now is love of God, love of neighbor, not love of self. Are you guys following me? I think that's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul suggests that we take this humble, sacrificial life posture. He says this in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give. Other translations, it's to offer or to present. I plead with you to give your bodies. And when Paul's talking about your bodies, he's talking about our everything, like everything about us. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God died for you so that you could have new life, so you could experience the forgiveness of sins, and so that you, don't, you can be free from the bondage of sin, so you don't have to live that way anymore or do that anymore. You guys follow me here. So in view of all that, he says, give your bodies to him. Let them, that is our bodies, that is our everything, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, man. Don't let the world influence you because they want death for you. They want you to experience hell. They want you to stay there, brokenness. 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So it's like this change from the inside out, from our heart all the way through to how we then think and live. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you. That is, you'll start to live a righteous life. I want to live in conformity to God's will. I don't want to be an unrighteous person that lives not in conformity to God's will. So now when God transforms us, gives us that new heart, that new heart desire, we want to know God's will and we will come to know it. And what does it say about God's will? It's good and it's pleasing and perfect for us. I want to live there, don't you? Later, Paul says this in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, comes at us from a different perspective. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. That's that heart change. May, may, may your whole spirit, may your whole soul and your souls made up of your mind, will, and emotions, and may your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful. And guess what? God will do it, not us. We just have to say, here I am, <laughs> right? It's an offering. God, you do the changing because I want freedom from sin. I don't want it to be my master anymore. I don't want to do that anymore, and I don't want to be that way anymore. Are you guys following me this morning? Oh, may we come to experience the grace of the purity of heart. Until God dealt with my sinful nature, I was on a roller coaster ride. And every time I would go on a business trip, even after I had my confession time with God, forgive me of all my sins, la, 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 la. Because I didn't let God deal with my heart issues. I would go. I would do things that were ungodly. I would get on the plane to return home. And this, all this ungodliness happened on the West Coast, I'm just saying. God brought me back here to get the hell out of it, right? Are you following me? Because I was living in hell when I was living here. <laughs> it's interesting how God works. I would bare knuckle it on the plane ride home. That plane, I'm getting on it. I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm thinking about everything I just did. Oh God, please forgive me again because I don't want to go to hell. I don't want this plane to crash. So I was always nervous on the takeoff and the landing, you know, what a pathetic life to live. I hadn't experienced freedom. I hadn't experienced a heart change. Now, after God has changed me, changed my heart from the inside out, these life dips, because I'm still a work in progress. I still need God sanctifying work in me every day. These life dips, they're more like shallow potholes now. Not like that. Like last night when I was, I was a long week, I was stressed a little bit and we left prayer of all things and I'm in the office and Kristen's asked me a question and I'm a little bit, I'm a little stressed and I responded to her in an unkind way. That's not being godly, but it's those shallow potholes now and they happen less and less frequently. And when they do, I'm just like, God, man, I need you to really work in me so I can reflect you when I'm stressed or when I'm tired because that's, that's where I'm weak right now. Are, are you guys with me here? My friends, I don't know how else that we can live in covenant relationship with God, that we can actually do what God's asking us to do. Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves, and teach others to do the same unless we experience the grace of the purity of heart and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit needs to do in us. Get rid of our, change our heart bent from self and sin to our initial reaction is always love of God, love of neighbor. Are you guys with me this morning? 
So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you if you want to receive today. Maybe some of you, you want to receive the grace of the forgiveness of sins. Let's start there and let's keep asking. And I, want, I don't want to just stop there, God. I'm glad you're going to forgive my sins. But I, I, I want you, I, I want to experience your grace of the purity heart. I actually want you to change my heart today. My heart bent. I'm tired. I'm tired of continuing to break relationships in my life. I'm tired of doing the things that are killing me. I want freedom from that. So if you want that today, I'm just going to ask you to, to stand in a second. And I want you to stand with your hands open like this. In essence, it's a posture of, God, I'm giving you my everything. And I'm receiving everything that you want to give me. I'm receiving this grace of the purity of heart, forgiveness of sins. I'm receiving your Holy Spirit. Let your Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's work in my heart and change it. So if you want to experience that today, then stand with me with your hands open like this and let me go to battle for you and for me. Is there anybody here who wants to stand? Yeah, and just receive the grace, the purity of heart. God, do your sanctifying work in me and continue to do it because I need it every day. In every way, God. Oh God, we stand before you this morning as your beautiful creations. You've created us to live in right relationship with you and with each other, God. And so we just want to be real and authentic with you this morning. And some of us this morning, we may have never even received your grace or the forgiveness of sins. And so right now, God, we are just naming them and just asking you to forgive us. And as you say in 1 John 1, 9, you are faithful and true and you will forgive us of our sins. And so you wipe them clean. And not only will you wipe us clean of our sins, but you will forget them. And then you'll give us that fresh start, that new life that we need. And God, some of us here, we, we've never experienced your grace of the purity heart, man. We're living that roller coaster ride and we're sick and tired of it. We just don't want to do it anymore. But we, we've tried. We've tried to say no but we can't because we haven't let you have our heart. So this morning we just stand and say, have our heart. We want to receive your grace of the purity heart. Please purify it. Please change it in such a way that it, it moves from a, a, a heart bent of, of sin and self to now a heart bent of love of you, God, and love of neighbor. God, do your sanctifying work in us right here, right now, and each day thereafter as we become more and more like you. Oh, have your way. In Jesus' life-giving, powerful, and mighty name, we pray and ask, amen and amen. You may be seated for a moment. I don't want to leave you hanging. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two practice tips here. And I was thinking about this this morning. And I was thinking about you. And I was thinking about how much I love you. And so here's what I want you to do. If you stood this morning just to receive from God, I want you to send me an email. And here's why. My email is this, danderson at hillchurch.com. danderson at hillchurch.com. And the reason why I want you to send me an email is because I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, and God just gave me this vision. They, they had painted in my, in my office, they had painted a part of my wall. It's a chalk wall. 
And I'm like, I got it. Okay, I'm okay. That's where you're. Le- okay, it's going to become my prayer wall. And so I want to write every person's name on it as God leads me as I continue to be pastor here who, who says, I, I want everything God has for me. Because every day when I come in my office, I want to go to battle for you by name. So if you send me an email, D Anderson, that's Dave Anderson, just D Anderson at hillchurch.com, I am going to write your name on that wall, on that prayer wall. And I'm going to go to battle. And I'm going to pray every day that God, please do continue to do your sanctifying work in Joe Smith, for example. Anthony Greta, whoever it is, your name will be on that wall. Because I want you to know someone's going to battle for you. You're not alone. The second practice tip, and I think I've shared this at one point in time, Romans 12, 1 and 2, these are my life verses. These changed my life as I let God work in me. And so I, I try every day to get up with this posture. God, here I am. Please transform me and use me as you see fit today. And as I was thinking about this covenant thing with God, this covenant relationship, I added something that I'm going to pray. And if you want to take a picture of this and pray this with me, go for it. So I'm going to then say, God, and please help me to love you today. Like my whole focus is just loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength in everything I do. Like my whole day is about worshiping you, giving you your, giving you your due in everything I do. And then God, please help me to love my neighbor as myself, like maybe it's a word of life, maybe it's a kind gesture, maybe it's meeting a need, I don't know what it is, but today just help me to do that in some tangible way. And then God help teach me to help others do the same. Are you guys following me? This is how I'm, this is how I'm gonna begin. I gotta figure out how I can get this some way framed in my office. And then I will pray for God's sanctifying work to happen in you each and every day. If you send me an email. Are you guys with me? Oh, my friends, I want God's best for you. God wants to covenant with us to restore God's kingdom here on earth. Will you allow God to do God's sanctifying work in you so that you can love God, love neighbor, and teach others to do the same? Will you? What say you? And before we sing, I just want to pray this over you and me. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, 5 verses 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. The one who calls you, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Will you let God do what God wants to do in you? Heal and restore. Free you. What say you?